Welcome to the first episode of Family Movie Nightmare. My name is Nikki Kay, and joining me, as always, is the wonderful Timothy Harvey. Hello. This is the podcast where a father and his spawn review and geek out about horror media. And we are going to be talking about, tonight, the wonderful Channel Zero first season, Candle Cove. Sci-Fi Channel is taking basically the short-form horror fiction and creepypastas and expanding them into six-episode series or seasons. And the first thing we have to acknowledge right off the bat is that if you're if you're familiar at all with creepypastas, is that most of them are very short. Yes, they are generally they uh, originated on um, 4chan and other message boards. And actually the name Creepypasta is a uh, derivative of Copypasta, which is copy-paste. So these are short stories that are intended to be reposted over and over again, uh, copied from other sources, and then put on message boards, which in the case of 4chan, are constantly in rotation. They, um, a thread will hit a thread limit and eventually get bumped into oblivion and be deleted unless it is archived by a user. So the, basically the idea for most of the creepypastas is a very short form creepy story that basically, um, well, hopefully your, your goal is to scare the person who's reading it. Now, this has been a hugely influential form of short fiction um, for good and for ill, uh, unfortunately, one of the most popular uh, stories to spin out of creepypastas was Slenderman, which, of course, unfortunately, a couple of years ago, we had a, a rather tragic series of events with, with a, some very young people who decided that this was a little too real and they had to do something about it and stabbings were involved. Um, but this is... Everyone survived that, thankfully. Yes, but, I mean, it's... there. The influence of this stuff is, in the internet age, the ability to have this kind of short fiction make it out into the world has actually helped a lot of writers become known. In fact, there's a lot of uh, named authors involved with Creepypasta as opposed to, you know, just the username. There's actually, you know this username actually is this person and this person is using this form of fiction to get recognized as a writer, uh, which has actually worked out fairly well for a lot of people. Right. Especially um, the, um, the author of uh, Candle Cove. Candle Cove is one of the um, older creepypastas around. It's also one of the first to actually have an author attached to it because most creepypasta came from, um, these anonymous message boards, there are a lot of them, before it, it moved on to a Wikipedia-style archive system where users could post their own creepypasta and attach their name to it, it was rare to have someone with an actual website to link back to. And Chris Straub, I do you know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, Chris Straw? I believe you are. Yeah. Okay, is the um, author of Candle Cove, and it comes from other, uh, and it comes from a short story series that he posted online that have now been actually archived into a published book called Candle Cove and Other Stories that you can now buy on Amazon, and they're all set in generally the same area. I don't know if they have the same premise of being online stories, um, like Candle Cove was, which is supposed to be taken off of a message board, a forum, actually. But it's set in Ashton and Ironton, I think. It's, it's all generally... Uh, originally, Candle Cove was part of a larger narrative. So one of the interesting things about Candle Cove <clears throat> as a story is that it is slow burn horror. In fact, if you look at it and you're just reading through it, you may not actually see why... It, well, it, depend, it depends on how you digest your horror because mm -hmm. it's much more of a creepy under-the-skin kind of thing as opposed to, you know, super violent or extremely, you know... It, it's not necessarily a graphic story or an extremely violent story. It's more of a 
building unease kind of story. Yes. And the ending gives you a sense that the world is a much more unnerving place than you think it is, as opposed to a, and then he killed five people or whatever, you know. Yes, it's part of the um, the trend and there's certain brands of creepypasta that are all about the twist. And this one relies on that twist very heavily. And it's a fantastic twist. Before I knew about Channel Zero, Candle Cove was one of my favorite creepypastas. I, I binged them around uh, the time that I was in college. Uh, all of those late nights that I would spend um, supposed to be up working on projects for my animation mm-hmm. degree. Instead, mm-hmm. I was scaring myself, reading <laughs> creepypasta and um, waiting for the next part of Ben Drowned to drop. I have never, ever stayed up late doing things like that. No. He lied. I don't. I definitely he didn't get it. He lied. I definitely didn't get it from you or anything. <laughs> No, uh, maybe a little. Um, so so the interesting thing, of course, anytime you adapt a sh- short story, anytime, well, anytime you adapt anything from one medium to another, you see significant changes. It's just the mm-hmm. reality of things. If you've ever really loved a book and had it turned into a film you couldn't stand, or a film you loved that you found that the book wasn't what you wanted it to be, you find that there's there's a translation uh change and it could be a translation error or it could be improved in translation uh as an example of, of a of a film that is actually better than the source material uh the shawshank redemption really? is a, a amazing movie and it's actually better than the novella this is my opinion you can argue it with me <laughs> yeah, that's fine but it's 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 better than the novella and it hits pretty much the same notes and mm-hmm. a lot of that comes out of the performances because yeah. the cast for the Shawshank Redemption happened to be a really amazing cast, and for a film that um, didn't have, that was one of Stephen King's less straight horror stories, it became one of the best adaptations of his work. Now, this can work again. This would be a good thing or a bad thing, and if you're adapting a short story into yes. a six-episode series, yes. There was a lot of concern, mm-hmm. to some degree justified, that what what made the creepypasta, that, that short bite horror and creepiness and, and interesting stuff that goes on in these short five, six paragraphs, some of them are longer, of course, but, you know, these little pieces um, into something that is, you know, five, six hours of broadcast television. I remember when this got greenlit. And the creepypasta community was super excited. And because it was, it was like, they finally noticed us. The real, the people who make real media noticed our stories. And the shine of that excitement quickly descended into concern and pessimism to the point where I, I heard about Channel Zero and then I didn't hear anything. I had no idea going into this. And actually watching the series, what to expect. Because the community that I was, I only, I, I was never actually a part of it. I was just kind of watching the YouTubers that would discuss it, um, occasionally mm-hmm. slipping into the forums. Because people that were reporting on it from within the community went silent. Uh, I had no idea what to expect. And... I did come into this from someone who was familiar with and enjoyed the source material very much so. And it interests me what they decided to take. And I think this is actually a good example of repackaging something for a different audience. Because the part of it that makes it creepypasta, the thing that makes it a purely internet experience has been taken away and all that's been left is the horror aspects that are at its core. Initially, uh, the story of Candle Cove is a discussion between forum members meant to discuss local TV stations. It starts out with the user asking if anyone remembers Candle Cove, which in within a specific subset of the U.S. 
And for those of you who are not familiar with with this, if if you cast your mind back to, so I'm almost, I'm almost fifty years old, and if you cast your mind back to my teenage years, uh, this would be the eighties. Prior to cable and in the early days of cable, there were these local stations that were broadcast on UHF, uh, and and there were all these little sub things that were very regional, and so you could have this local programming that nobody else in the country saw. Except for a small town within the within the broadcasting tower. Yeah, and and these these brought these stations were broadcasting on very low power transmitters, so you could literally have your your demographic could be like a city or mm-hmm. three cities, and so you could end up with this programming. And a lot of the programming was frankly terrible because nobody had any money, but yeah. some of it was was kind of interesting, and is in in a nostalgia sense. In looking back at a period of your life, you know, the idea, the, the, the premise of this of this creepypasta where someone's saying, hey, do you remember this thing from this place that I remember from when I was a kid? It actually is definitely a real feeling and something that if you are of that particular uh, uh, generation or were or exposed to this kind of programming that really did exist for a period of time, you see, you see things like it now. But it's not the it's not the same. Yes, and because it it happened before the digital age, it's much more believable that you know it's completely lost. Like, not only is it super regional, nobody taped this shit, or if they did, oh yeah, it was probably taped over, so it didn't. It's it's not something that these characters you assume have already googled it trying to find it, and maybe that's how they found this right. forum is they put in Candle Cove. And they came across this forum. Because there was a time when, and and it was not that long ago, when the vast majority of households did not own technology that enabled them to tape television. And something is, you know, very few people own VCRs anymore. Right. But it was, it was the late 80s where VCRs actually became a thing for the average household. And even then, they were ridiculously expensive. Your mom and I used to rent VCRs <laughs> in college, and we would we had to pay like a fifty dollar deposit every single time, and that was fifty dollars a night. And I mean, these things came in in almost indestructible cases. I mean, it was just it was kind of crazy. Yeah. Uh, considering now, I can go down to a thrift store, thrift store, and I can buy a VCR that probably works for five bucks. Yeah. You know, so I mean. The, um, but so so this kind of programming just disappearing off the face of the earth happened all the time. It, it lends itself so wonderfully to the premise of the story where these characters, you can put yourself as a reader in the mindset of, oh, I just found this forum. I'm reading about something that I don't have any knowledge of, but I can pretend is real. It's very easy for you as a reader to go, well, maybe this shit actually existed, which is one of the best parts of creepypasta is the ability to suspend your disbelief of what is real and what isn't because the internet is just words, man. Sometimes like people create, can create entire threads by themselves pretending to be other people and trick readers into assuming that it is different people having conversations. Well, and that's actually some of the stuff that I really liked about the creepypastas that I've looked at, which is the ones that try do their best to make it feel like a real thing as opposed to, mm-hmm. you know, some of the some of the other ones which are I mean there there's nothing wrong with the ones that are just designed to make you feel creepy or, yes. or to scare you. But the ones that try and make it feel like a real thing, like a I am I, as much as of a horror fan as I am, I'm not frightened by horror films anymore. And <laughs> no. I love them. And I've worked on, I've you know, as a, as a filmmaker, I've worked on on some, uh, and I love the process. And I, but the last horror film that actually truly scared me was Halloween, which I saw when I was like thirteen or fourteen. Uh, and now this is not to say it's the last horror film that that didn't creep me out. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there's I, Martyrs, uh, the French film. Uh, is a genius piece of work, and I never want to watch it again. Because oh God! You've told it, me about made, this one. It, yeah, it made me. It made me feel unclean, and <laughs> and I think it succeeded at really creating a truly disturbing 
set of circumstances uh, for the characters to go through. And and if you feel compelled to watch this film, watch the French version. It was remade. There was an American remake. Of course which there was. Is, is, it's not that it's a terrible movie. Um, I have not seen it, but the reviews basically said that it's not that it's a terrible movie. It's just that we have the French film, and the French film is so much better. Um, so something, you know, if you if you if you if you want to if you want to have trouble sleeping, um, <laughs> you know, uh, that's that's one there. But but it, but it didn't actually frighten me. I mean, I was I was. There's a lot of of the ideas inside the film that are the kind of thing that worm into your head. But it's not the kind of thing where it's like this is going to happen to me. You know. Mm-hmm. This is, um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't hit on a, like a primal fear or, or the kind of stuff that actually, I mean, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you look at horror, figuring out what actually scares you and, and why it scares you. Mm-hmm. And Creepypasta is very good at, at blending the lines between reality and fiction when it's done well to where it can leave you feeling, oh, the world is much more dangerous and, and and mysterious than I realized it was. And that's yeah. that's kind of where this story goes, because at the end of it, I guess we're going into spoiler territory, which at this point, go oh, watch Channel Zero. Go watch Channel Zero. It's so good. It's so good. I We're going to talk about how good it is and why it's good, but you should really <laughs> experience it for yourself. If you don't like teeth... If you don't like horror around teeth or or which I actually live with someone who is deathly afraid of teeth and whole mouth horror in general, oh. I can never show Chris this I can never show Chris this show and it it kills me because it's so well written. Anyways, go watch it, please. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> and now spoilers. So the forum users are discussing this show and and filling in the pieces for one another. And because it was something that they watched as children, their memories are a little are a little hazy and they can't quite remember the characters or the or how the story structure was set up until another one brings it up, which is a wonderful way of, of sharing information with a reader. And the story that they paint is a very low-budget children's TV show that is just this edge of nightmare fuel. Like, there's a skeleton that's called the Skin Taker, and he grinds his bony teeth together, and uh, it's terrifying, and you can uh, just vividly imagine, the the way that it's written, it's very easy to vividly imagine these terrible props. Um, and the twist is, a user called Mike Painter 56, Mike Painter 56 comes in, and tells everyone, hey guys, I just spoke with my mom, and I brought up Candle Cove to her, and she thought it was so funny that me and my brother would sit in front of the TV and watch Static for 30 minutes. <laughs> and that's where it just leaves off. That's where the story ends. They don't even, we don't even get to see uh, how they handle the sky falling in, and the reality of, I'm sorry, what? That thing didn't fucking exist? Which I think is really, which is really disturbing. If you, th- I mean, it's it's an implication kind of story, mm-hmm. where the more you think about it, the more you realize this is a a thing that is targeting children. It is a, it is whatever the, whatever it, whatever Candle Cove is, it's only children can see it. Which, yes. as an adult, this can play on a lot of different fears. If you're a parent, this plays on the something is after my kid fear, which is a real, you know, mm-hmm. there's a, there's that built in parental fear for the safety of their children. And as a child, as an adult, looking back at your childhood, you can ask yourself, what was it doing to me? Why me? What was it trying to instill? And there's um, one of my favorite parts is, is one that they don't really play with in the Channel Zero adaptation, this is a part that's never really explained. Um, it doesn't have to be, but it was the thing that stuck with me most when reading the initial creepypasta, was um, uh, a user talks about a nightmare she used to have where all of the characters would just scream and scream, 
and the little human girl character uh, who who hung out with all the puppets and was written out from Channel Zero's adaptation. Uh, she just looked like she'd been having to deal with it for hours. And then another user was like, dude, that was an episode of the show. And the and the first user's reply was, no, it wasn't. That's a what? Why would that be an episode of the show? No, I remember that. Which, Jesus, why? Why? Yeah. Why is the why is the nebulous, creepy uh, puppet master who's controlling this? Why are they just an episode of Screamy? Especially considering there were actual episodes with, with plot. Like, there were, they established that there were, like, catchphrases of, you have to go inside. Yeah. That's the, that's the part that stayed with me. And in, it's, going back to adapting something for a different audience. Um, so, Channel Zero takes all of the characters from Candle Cove that are described within the thread. They take the actual conversation and they reframe it. And there is no internet presence in Channel Zero, which I was kind of upset about. I understand it looking at it from a narrative sense. The story is very much that of children growing up in the 80s and someone coming back to their very small town and... Um, it's from the point of view of, uh, parents worried for their small children and flashbacks to the eighties. There's not a lot of room for, for chats, for, for chat rooms and forums and computers to go in there. It's, it makes a lot of sense from a writer's, um, perspective to, make it more about exploring the creepy-ass environment and going out into the woods and leaving technology behind than it is to uh, have a character sitting in front of a computer. Unfortunately, you're taken from a creepy pasta, dude. Like, it's, uh, the whole point was that it was an internet experience. And as much as I love Channel Zero, uh, I do... It it does kind of upset me that they that they made that choice because it it's removing something from its roots, something that was very important to the initial telling of the story. The only issue I would raise there is that pretty much one of the things that filmmakers keep forgetting. We've seen a lot of this lately. Uh, in there's been a ton of, of horror films lately where the internet has been a presence is that generally speaking, watching people sit at a computer screen and read things is boring as hell. Yes. Yes. And, that's true. And so there's that, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, there's a, there's a translation thing that happens here that, and it's going to it, it continues through all of the channel zero adaptations of of the various creepy pastas because you hit some of these um and the 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 basic concept has been taken but everything else is more or less like how does this actually connect to the original <laughs> creepy pasta well they took like a line from it and ran with it uh now Candle Cove sticks fairly close oh, very in the much. broad strokes. All of the characters that are mentioned, except for the little girl uh, that is supposed to be in the initial show, all of the characters mentioned within the fo- by the forum users as being part of Candle Cove, the TV series, show up in Candle Cove, the TV series, within Channel Zero's uh, little world. So when you do see the TV show, the, the the show that only the children can see, it's very surreal and mm-hmm. disturbing in its on its own, which helps build the atmosphere. Because essentially, this is the story of a, this man, this Mike, you know, Mike Painter, coming back to this small town, where one of the reasons that he left is because. You know, there was a series of murders in the town when he was a kid, and one of them was his brother. 
and his brother was the only one who was not recovered. All of the other children were found, except for Eddie Painter. Right, and Eddie, Eddie and, and Michael are twins, mm-hmm. or were twins. And so there's that, 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 fam, that, brother, that brother dynamic, there's the twin dynamic, there's all these different things that, that built in. And so when you meet Mike Painter in the series, he's, he's got this kind of disconnect from the people around him. Yes, he hasn't seen his mother since he was since he was like twelve. Yeah, and there's this remove between him and the people around him that actually works fairly well for his job, which is a child psychologist. Yes, uh, but at the same time, it also has meant that he has um, family issues of his own. Mm-hmm. The, his relationship with his wife and. Uh, his daughter is a little bit awkward. Mike's actor does a fantastic job of making him just a little creepy. Um, we see him usually he's he's a very controlled character. Like he t- stares dead in the face, horrible bullshit, and just kind of slowly gets up and walks out of the room. Because that's how he handles having a psychotic break. It's just yeah. removing himself from the creepy stuff. So you spend a lot of time with this character who is doing his best to stay in control of what is rapidly becoming. His world is just falling apart around his ears. And... We do get moments where we see Mike as a character kind of lose his shit. And those were my favorite moments. There's a grand tradition with you can't go home again. And in horror, there's a grand tradition of if you go home again, bad things are going to happen. <laughs> uh, especially you shouldn't if you go home have to a gone home town. again. <laughs> yeah. So the small town you go home to turns out to have, you know, serial killers or monsters or there's a vampire in the basement or, you know, whatever it is. Or your presence is fueling the evil thing that you left alone uh 20 years prior well and you end up with this whole series of revelations not only built around the fact that this candle cove series the the television show that only the kids could see turns out to have been a thing um but also that there's a series of events that are a lot closer to home Mm-hmm. When it comes to Mike, then he would rather prefer. Yes, there was there is some connection between uh, the children that got killed and Candle Cove. That uh, as the series progresses, we you know find out more and more about. We'll probably end up spoiling it. So again, go watch it. What are you doing, listening <laughs> to us? Go watch it and come back. Anyways, well, and that's and that's and that's a t- that's a tough thing because you have. The folks who really, really love something like Creepypastas and love this story, I think as long as you recognize that the show is going to go in a different direction, it's not going to be a straight adaptation, because it can't be. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there isn't enough. It's, it's not going to uh, be six hours of, of uh, material. You have to have it. You have to somehow build a larger story. And where this greatly succeeds is it it paints a beautiful story and it's and it tells it in a way that leaves you guessing it it really by the time you more or less understand what is going on you are invested in the characters and until you reach that point there is enough suspense and um mike is such an unreliable narrator that you want to keep watching to find out if he's telling the truth because we don't know if he is as innocent as he makes himself out to be. And once we find out he's not that innocent, we don't know if he's still a hero or if he's someone we we should be rooting for. And I think they do a really good job of establishing that very early on that you can't be entirely sure that the person who is clearly the main character of this show is someone you can trust. Yes. And that's a tough thing to do. And I think that sometimes it can be done very poorly. Uh, this actually manages to make it work. And there's that odd sense. And I wasn't with the first, t- the first episode when I watched it the first time, I kind of looked at 
uh, Mike and went, I'm not sure if I'm enjoying this performance. Yeah, and, I can see that. And it, it really became uh, Paul Schneider, by the way, is the name of the actor. And he's been in quite a few things. He's had a, a career dating back to the 90s. He's kind of a low-rent Edward Norton uh, with an extreme, <laughs> sure, okay. with an extreme, um, extremely browed Edward Norton. He has the same kind of nasal delivery, but he also has the same kind of charm. So, well, I agree that, yeah, his his acting was a little off. I ended up loving him by the end of the series. Well, and it works for the character. I think mm-hmm. that there's there's something about the events of his life and, and the situations that led him to leave town and to go have the life that he had that it plays into the character very well. And I think it was a very it was a very solid decision to have him act the part that way. And not to mention it gives you that whole sense of, well, now, wait a minute, should I be rooting for this person? And mm-hmm. then certain things, without being too spoilerific, certain things lead you down the road to say, no, he's not as trustworthy because he did things. And... And I like I like flawed heroes. Okay, I like oh, yes. I like people who are who are damaged um, because I think they make them more interesting characters. I sure every now and again it's really cool to have that completely noble hero. I mean, the Princess Bride. I mean, come on. Yes. You know, but at the Wesley, same time, he was a pirate. He was kind of yeah. flawed. I mean, he 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 did steal from people. But yeah, he was, a, he was one of the good pirates. He was a good pirate. <laughs> well, that's the thing with flawed with flawed characters. I want I want people who have made mistakes and are trying to do good. Or if they are if they have decided not to do good, then I understand that decision and I can empathize with it. Well, they, it makes them more interesting. It does I mean, because they, you know, they have. Most of us have not made it through life without doing things that we regret. Mm-hmm. And while certainly um, I've never experienced a lot of the things that that flawed heroes have in their lives, um, there's you can still relate to that. You can still relate to the people who are trying to make up for something they've done or feel they can never make up for something they've done. Right, because in your in if you were in their shoes, ideally. You feel as if you would either have made the same mistakes, or you could you could understand why they made the mistakes that they did in the moment. And Mike, as a character, is definitely one of those people because one of the worst things that he does in his life he does as a child. He can't he he can't really go back on that, and he doesn't really get much of a choice. Um, and I just I love the writing in the show when it comes to putting characters in terrible situations where they have to make really hard decisions and some of them don't make them don't make those decisions fast enough so so in a lot of horror you can count on we will not kill a child we will not kill a dog we will not kill you know whatever <laughs> um this show I mean, for, you know, the basic premise is that children are being killed. So you, you're yes, right off right the bat. right off the bat. You know, the, the history of the show involves child murder. And it doesn't stop as the show progresses. Uh, and it doesn't really also uh, pull any punches. No. With the very real violence that so much of... there's There's a scene where a certain female character is set upon... Uh, by, well, you know, a, a handful of small children. And as I was watching it, I'm going, they're not really going to... Oh, they are. Oh. Oh, they oh, go for it. Wow. And this scene goes on for a while. It is one of my favorite scenes. Um, if only because it is a, it is a case of misdirection. This show is so good at misdirection. And playing with the audience's expectations. This scene, as well as another scene I'd like, I'd love to talk about, was a wonderful surprise. Because we spent the entirety of, I believe, the third episode seeing these children, through the guise of, of LARPing as pirates, um, 
talking about someone boarding their vessel and going to war to protect the booty and whatever. And because of the framing of the episode, you think a specific character is in danger. And then by the end of the episode, they're like, nah, man, it was this chick. She's in danger and she's not getting out. Unlike some of the other shows that, that we've done, clearly we're, we're trying very hard to stay away from spoilers, apparently. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not sure we, I'm not sure we set out to do this, but we we have been. So I think well, let's just continue along those lines. I think I think one of the things this show does really well is that it sets up a situation, and the way you expect it to play out, everything from Mike's sanity, because because very very quickly, and this is a spoiler, but very very quickly you realize he's having a psychotic break. Yes. This is not like this is this is an early early episode spoiler thing, okay? This is the kind of thing where this is what we're talking about when we say it casts suspicion into whether or not he is a reliable narrator. Uh because he's a little crazy. They do this not just through characters being like, "No, we looked up on you. We heard from the hospital. You just left that you are not okay." They also show it visually of him seeing things that can't be there things seeing things that aren't real and the editing also implies that he is reliving things that seem impossible and it's something that i i just they did such a good job of i just want to give them so many kudos the way the show takes a look at the things that the consequences that would roll out of something mm-hmm. uh is I I like stories with consequences. Okay, oh, yes. I like it when things come back to bite, uh, or you know, bite bite the hero or the villain, or they you know, this chain of events leads to these results, and there's a consequence to actions. Yes. There are. This is something that a lot of horror does not necessarily do well. And there, yes, there's a whole genre built on, I know what terrible things so-and-so did, and therefore, mm-hmm. you know, this is going to be the the consequence, and, and, and there, I know what you did last summer, right? Okay, that sort <laughs> yes. of thing, right? There's that, that That's a whole genre. Okay, so, so look at your basic, your slasher films, right? Your Halloweens and your Friday the 13th and that sort of things. You don't have... At least initially, we're seeing it now with the new Halloween film, for example, or Halloween H two O, which was you know quite a few years back, where there were consequences to things that happened to Laurie Strode because of the events of the first or the first two Halloween films. Right. Mm. Years later, this has an impact on her, and this is. But for a lot of that kind of that kind of horror, there's no real impact goes beyond the film we don't see what happens to the final girl we don't see what happens right. to the survivors of you know or what happened to the family of whose whose teenage kid got killed and what it did to them right and that's and that goes with the territory right i mean it's a, it's an hour and a half film of course you're not going to do that sort of thing but in a show where you've got six episodes where you can tell a bigger story and you can delve into this the show takes this creepypasta this short form creepy little story that leaves you wondering what the implications of it are and they play it out in a way that shows that watching this show the 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 fallout of it yes is still going on today yes and it's not done yes it's and i like that yes and it it plays into the bigger themes of the story which end up being about family which you know is wonderful for our uh um are cutting our teeth on the podcasting thing because you know family um but i do really love how they handle the themes in this like there's uh mike and his mother his mother um sent him away after the death of his brother and they don't really have a relationship anymore they're strangers when they meet each other again and that uh that unease and that they really explore it they spend time Asking, who are these characters to one another? What are the relationships that came from this childhood trauma? And and where what's their future going to be like? And they, they let each of the characters, uh, and this is a, a strength of the writing, they let each of the characters make mistakes and, and choose to be stronger together. Like there's, 
people are fucking smart in this show. You know, you don't usually see um, the wife of the police chief going, you have resources, use them. And, and being right and him listening. Um, you don't usually see characters uh, making a mistake and then actively uh, trying to make up for it. Usually once a character goes off the deep end, they stay off the deep end. One of the characters makes a full 180 that I left me extremely proud and, and really, you know, drove home how important families are and parents are to children and the relationship between children and their parents and how that has to be strong and and one built on trust and communication in order for them to be okay. Because when that breaks down, when when either the child betrays the parent or the parent betrays the child, that's when shit goes wrong and goes off the deep end. There's some very real parental betrayal here in oh, the story yes. that is, as as an adult looking at the things you could do to a child, uh, it's up there. Oh, yes. It's up there in some really horrific ways. And there's also just this really powerful strength between a mother and her child or and her children if you want to, to expand that a little bit uh, in an appropriate way for the show that is something you don't often see especially with the way the end events unfold in the final episode no spoilers yes um, but it also means that you have a gen- multi-generational cast that actually has a lot of heavy lifting to do yes on the child level on the adult level and on the older actor level so you're looking at somebody you know you're you're looking at actors who are clearly children actors who are clearly in their you know 30s and 40s and actors who are in their their 50s 60s and 70s so it enables you to have this really strong multi-generational cast that all has something to do yes and the mother um uh marla um mike and eddie's mother is one of the standout performances, um, along with Francis, who is, they're, they're both the, some of the oldest cast members, and they have some of the best performances. Like, Francis gets a fantastic monologue that she just knocks out of the goddamn park. Um, <laughs> and, and Marla, Reminds me so much of my my adopted mother, Missy. Uh, For those who don't know, Tim is my birth father. And open adoption, I was raised by different parents. And so I have a lot of... I see... I can see a parent easily in both Mike and in Marla because of the different (laughs) generations among my parents. And it really... it gave a new level of experience as a viewer of the show was seeing how their heartbreak they're they just give fantastic performances and the writing allows them to really face some terrible things as parents they go through real horror and the that's another part of this show that's so good. It's yes, there's supernatural elements. There's shit that could never actually happen that is terrifying. And then there's things that very much happen. Meeting an adult that is technically your child, but you have very little and and you're supposed to care for them and look after them and that parental bond is still there, but you know, the history is different as a as an adopted kid who's, you know, who has parents that I didn't live with, that there there was, I could see myself in that too. It was just such a good show. <laughs> I can't give it enough. <laughs> I really can't give it enough praise. Well, and I think that, that that's actually a, a really important part of this in that because you come out of this as someone who was very much you know, I I came into creepy pastas a lot later than mm. than a lot of people did, just because I consume I consume my horror in a different way. That's just not that's just not one of my 
not something that came you know instinctually to me that just wasn't one of the things that i stumbled across uh, uh, you know i was i'm a horror film guy and a, a horror novel guy and and oddly enough horror short stories have not always been a uh a, a big part of how i consume my horror i mean there's certainly i've read a lot you know anthologies and and you know you know, Lovecraft is short stories. Stephen King wrote a lot of short stories. There's a lot of authors who I've read who have short story collections, and I've read some anthologies. But most of the time, I'm when it comes to reading horror, I'm reading novels. Mm-hmm. And so, and I'm also old enough that my internet um, consumption. I don't spend a lot of time reading fiction online, and there are exceptions. There's there certainly have been plenty of things that I've read in terms of fiction online but for for the you know the creepy pasta thing was something that just it didn't hit I, where I was in terms of how I was consuming my my short fiction that wasn't where I was when this thing really happened mm-hmm. and so you come in with a lot more knowledge and and you know exposure to it than I did yeah. and so I- the fact that you're actually you know really enjoying this show from really having that being rooted a lot more in the creepypasta um, uh, environment than I am. Whereas I enjoyed it as someone looking at it as, okay, I've gone back and I've read the, the creepypasta and I see what they're doing here. And I'm looking at it as a larger picture as a story. Mm-hmm. And that actually, I think that goes a long way to showing what they got right. And I know that there are going to be folks who are going to watch, who did watch or are going to watch, channel zero and it's it, the way it deals with the creepypasta idea and how it spins out into these larger stories and they're going to go no mm-hmm. i do not like this this isn't what i wanted and that's and that's again that that's perfectly fine i think you as long as you understand that it's spun it you know they're they're taking the idea of these things and they're spinning it into a completely different medium yeah uh it's going to work if if you if you just let yourself enjoy the story for what it is i think there's a fair amount of success happening here. Oh, yeah. You know, it may not be for everybody who loves creepypastas, though. In all fairness. Now, as a um, as a writer, as a as a director, as an actor, what um, did did you have any issues with this with uh, this season? Is there anything that um, didn't work for you that you wish that they had done differently, or or o- only only initially in the sense that. I, I was having it a hard time really connecting with Mike Painter initially, mm-hmm. but the more the more the character developed, and I think that that's that's a risk that they took uh, yes. in in having him portray the role that way because I could see that turning off mm-hmm. an audience initially, and and if you don't grab them, especially when you're doing something like this where you're adapting a as something else when you're when you're telling a story that somebody is very familiar with from a different medium. You run the risk of losing that audience yes. right away if you don't grab them. And I think that's a challenge they had. That they, I think that it played out well over the course of the series. But initially, I was like, I'm, he's, he's so detached. He's, so, he's got this, this thing about him that I'm, not, I'm having a hard time connecting. But it, it really was part of the character. Yes. I think that it actually worked. And I think that I think the ending of the show is maybe a a tiny bit too cute. Yeah, yeah. It's a very light, like it's a very light touch. The ending, the ending just kind of happens, and it's and it drifts off, and it's not a very heavy ending, and it is very cute. I, I like it. I. I'm into cute stuff, uh, but the ending, the last episode especially, there was one thing that bothered me, and it actually was brought up to me before I I reached it. It was a comment that someone made on one of the um, I live blogged just a little bit of um, my watching it. It was mostly complaining about when the when the video froze, and I had to go find someplace else to watch it. But um, <laughs> uh, someone mentioned that the slow pans were a little heavy they're a little heavy on the panning and I didn't get it until we reached the last episode and it was like you're just going to keep doing this over and over again we're just you're doing it again man you're just slowly slowly moving the camera okay 
it was one of those things where it ha- it's not something that was used as heavily earlier in the series mm, to sure. as much as I can remember that when they kept pulling it over the course of the last 40 minutes it was a little it was a little like oh, okay again really <laughs> i know what you're going for i know why you're using this i do but <sighs> other times in the series the suspense was handled really well I, I I do think that the ending is the weakest part of the series, but it's not necessarily a bad ending. I think I think I want to, I want to qualify the the there's the way that the the way that the story the the larger story actually ends. I thought was really strong. Yes. Um, but I also think that the actual final minutes of the final episode um, is where it might get a little cute for people. <sighs> But and in it, terms of how the larger arc of the of what's happening in the show ends, that actually was kind of a, oh, 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 well, okay, yeah, okay, no, I get that. Oh, yeah, no. It's, it's so good. <laughs> I keep saying that, but I can't help it. I really <laughs> like how the risks that they took with, with the... Maybe risks isn't the right word. The well, no, I think I think risk. I think risk works considering you're taking an established thing. Oh, I know, but I don't think it's what base. I. I don't think it's what I meant to. Uh, risk and the writer's part isn't what I meant to imply. It was the characters, the the mm, okay, the sure. choices that the characters make are just so fraught. They're they're really like. They make some. Mike as a character is very ho- heroic in the end, and um, initially, at, I was very concerned about the choices that he was making because he was going in for a fight that he that really seemed stacked against him, and that's a good you know that's a good thing to put the audience through. Like the character has been pretty competent so far, and you and you kind of. I kind of trusted his judgment, but I was also like, dude, you haven't figured out how to use your secret powers yet, and you're going up against, like, the final boss. You're really doing this? Um, <laughs> it's, man, but it's so good. And and the last episode is when we get to see probably the coolest thing that they brought into this series, which is a performance artist named Oliver DeSagazen, I think. I think I'm absolutely butchering his name. Oliver DeSagazan is a performance artist that uses clay, paint, hay, and other materials to transform his face and body in absolutely terrifying ways. He is most recognizable by his performance piece, Transfiguration, which can be viewed on YouTube in all nine minutes of its glory. Um, some of you may be familiar with his work as um, creepy bullshit playing in the back of horror YouTube videos. Um, mm. And uh, he's the guy who makes a slaps clay onto himself, then takes a knife and cuts a hole from for his mouth to breathe through. Um, there's also mm. images of him um, creating a beak out of clay and then with his fingers dipped in paint, poking eye holes for this new monstrous face to see from. And they, in a in fucking most genius move, hired this guy to be the living manifestation of the darkest part of our villain's psyche. The skin taker, also known as Jawbone. He's so fucking scary. <laughs> I love this guy. I thought we you see him in flash in flashes earlier in the series. Um very very short moments where I actually, you know, went back and paused the video just to make sure that I I saw what I saw and I was like, "Man, it really reminds me of this guy on YouTube that scares the piss mm. out of me." And then we get to the last episode and I'm like, "No, that's just him. This is this is <laughs> the guy." 
And he's so fucking scary. There's this, there's this moment where they just, they just let him do whatever the fuck he wants, where he just scares the ever loving shit out of Mike. And he's, Mike is stuck in a tiny ass hallway with this guy and he's like lighting himself on fire and just smacking his face against the wall and is then the, and the clay's coming off and it's adding this distortion that's just, oh God, it's creepy. So good. <laughs> and anything that makes any anything that makes Mike have a reaction is the best part of the series. There's a part where um his daughter, Mike is a, is a parent and we find out very early that Mike is a parent and his daughter Lily becomes a very important character later in the series and she just shows up and she's supposed to be miles and miles away with her mom who is not talking to Mike because Mike is having issues right now. And, um, she just shows up and Mike freaks out this character who has been calmly walking away from all the scary shit that he's been seeing starts his, his voice picks up and go and and shoots up into his register. And he looks like he wants to burst into tears and all of the composure that we've seen this child psychologist speaking with other children characters and he's a master manipulator in certain scenes all of his composer just goes and i i just ate it up with a spoon i loved it <laughs> it was my favorite fucking part he's just so and and one other thing i want to mention uh mike is an unreliable narrator and he sees things in the early part of the series that no one else reacts to. And it's early enough to where we aren't sure as an audience where the supernatural elements and the characters are intersecting. Like, is this just to spoop? Is this going to be spoopy bullshit just for the audience to enjoy? Or is a character actually seeing it? And because Mike right. reacts to things by walking away from them or turning away from them very calmly, we don't fucking know. And there's a part where he has, he and his mother have left her, uh, left Marla's house to follow a figure in the woods into an old ironworks factory, this just huge concrete building. And this figure is far enough away that we aren't sure if it's an adult or a child. But Mike follows them inside, and it becomes eventually clear that he is following his dead brother who we know is dead and even if he wasn't dead he would not be 12 <laughs> and because we are moving through a dark factory and um the lighting is all weird it has a very dreamlike like nightmare um essence to it to where when mike rounds a corner and there is a very scary thing surrounded by candles. I was goddamn sure he was dreaming. And then it cuts mm, away right. and the police are there. And it was so good. My expectations were completely fucked with and I could have not been happier. I was so excited. That's some that's what really that's some good visual storytelling. And, and just just completely taking the audience by the ear and in a way that they thank you for afterwards. I just moments like that and there have been there are several throughout the series that I haven't mentioned, but I just wanted to highlight that one because it was so cool. Yeah, it's 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 visually a very, very impressive show in terms of in terms of giving you imagery, which is, genuinely eerie if nothing mm -hmm. else and certainly you know disturbing and scary uh for a lot of people i think that it has a real understanding that if you're going to have something based on you know the the the, the that little piece of the disturbing television show for children and making it into something that really affects adults it really expands on a lot of 
the parental fears and the adult fears and all those things about fears about children, but it also gives you this really, really disturbing imagery. Yes. Which, because Mike is so often the one seeing it, you don't know if it is real, and then you know it's real, and then it gets worse. Oh, yes. (laughs) Oh, yes. I knew that I was going to enjoy this series when on uh, on Zompocalypse, which I, I guest starred on the other podcast that Tim does, um, it was mentioned to me that there was a teeth monster, and because there was a teeth monster, Dustin would never, ever watch this series. The second I found yeah. out there was a teeth monster, and that we're talking like a person made out of teeth. I knew I was going to have fun because that's amazing. <laughs> Who read? It's a very, very impressive visual. And this is the the image. Um, if you have seen any kind of promotional material for Channel Zero, this image, this creature, this entity has become kind of the show... Ma- I don't want to say mascot, but it's kind of one of the one of the iconic images of the show. Even though it only applies to this series of the show, you know, this has become kind of the iconic images of Channel Zero, uh, and it shows up in a lot of their promotional material. Yes, as a piece of costuming, it's amazing because it's a full suit. It is a. It is. Oh yeah, no, it is great. Actually, I believe a completely practical. There's not really. I, I mean, I, I kind of have an eye for it. I'm sure that they could have passed stuff off on me. But there is almost all of its practical effects in this series. And that's another thing that's really cool. Um, but freaking Teeth Monster. So fucking scary. Who looked at Candle Cove and was like, you know what this thing needs? More teeth. Who? <laughs> that person. Uh, well, they, def- they definitely reached the, the you know maximum teeth. I think um, there's not too much more teeth you can do. No. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And again, I can never show this to my roommate because guess what their biggest fear is. (laughs) Now, so the the premise of this particular portion of Family Movie Nightmare is that we are doing the, the, we're leading up to the new season of Channel Zero. So this week we talked about Candle Cove. Yes. Next week, we'll talk about No End House, which is season two. Yes. And then season three is Butcher's Block. And then The Dream Door is season four, which comes out uh, here in uh, late October. I didn't know going into this how excited I was going to be, but I've heard <laughs> that season two is, is comparable to season one. And I'm just, even if it isn't, I have had so much fun finding a new thing to celebrate because this is just any ser- any series that leaves me going, I want to make stuff like this. This is what I want to do. I want to be See, this mean to characters. <laughs> yeah, it's um, uh, there's a lot of material to mine here. So we basically talked. Uh, and, and we tried to keep spoilers down to a minimum here, but we talked about the first series here. We'll talk about the next series next week. And then when we get to season four, um, I'm not sure. Do we want to try and do season four as individual episodes? Well, it's going to be released all in one go, I believe. Is that is that it drops uh, yes, all at I the same so. time? All, it all, I believe it all is going to come out. Uh, it's either all at one date or it's going to be like night after night after night. Right. I would like to tentatively say that we should do it episode by episode, but also uh, leave it up to some of our listeners to to tell us what they would like. Because if they would like an episode by episode blow, I mean, I'd love to give it. There's the directing is it seems like one of those series where it's going to be very fun to just, you know, tear down each episode. I That would be a lot more spoiler heavy. Yes, that's true. Tonight, so. But, you know, um, so we'll look at it and see what happens. Yes. And, um, oh, gosh, I'm excited. I don't know if I've said that <laughs> enough. <laughs> All right. Well, folks, thank you so much for listening to us tonight. We hope that you've enjoyed this and we hope that you can tune in on our next episodes as well. Um, as for now, you can find this show, Family Movie Nightmare, with the same podcast.com account as we have our Zompocalypse Now 
podcast. So for the moment, you will see the promotion stuff coming out through ours on Apocalypse Now, Twitter and Facebook and that sort of thing. As time goes by here, we'll build up our, our, our own individual presence here. We just want to get this started and get it going. Yes. And uh, you'll have this, you'll, you'll see us more, develop this more as time goes by. But follow us on the Zompocalypse Now pages. Uh, and of course, if you could subscribe to us on iTunes, podcast.com, any other places you find us, that would be fantastic. We, we're having a good time. We'd love to be able to share more with you. And as always, thank you, Nikki. Thank you, Tim. And have a wonderful, scary week. Bye. <laughs>